In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I beg your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi, which is a feast that is repeated, we could say, in the Church. The the Church celebrates the Feast of the Eucharist on Holy Thursday. But since it's such a great mystery, the Church is basically saying we need to have seconds. It's just like uh, when the ice cream is really good, you say, I want some more. I want, I want to taste that again. I want to mull that over again. And so the church has seconds, so to speak, on this feast day, because even if it has seconds, it actually won't exhaust contemplating the beautiful gift of the Eucharist that the church carries within and preserves for as long as the church will exist here on earth, which is till the end of time. In St. John's Gospel, we have a beautiful treatise on the Eucharist. In John chapter 6, St. John, as you know, does not report the words of consecration or the institution of the Holy Eucharist as the synoptics do or as the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, does in chapter 11. But St. John does have these words which are beyond question a clear statement of the faith of the Church, of what we hold to be true. And that is that in the Eucharist, our Lord's body, blood, soul, and divinity become present. And so he says these words, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the desert and have died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that if anyone eat of it, he will not die. I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall have no life within you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life everlasting, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. Well, here, these words are extraordinary, because... Jesus is clearly stating that he is the bread that has come down from heaven and that whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood will have life everlasting, meaning 
all of his divinity will be communicated to him just like the father and the son share one life so too those those who eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood will have that same life so here the humanity of our lord and the divinity of our lord are entirely made present and humanity the humanity of our lord is made up of body blood and his soul and then his divinity that that's what is contained within the eucharist now how do we know that these words refer to the eucharist well these words in combination with the institution of the eucharist where our lord said this is my body and this is the cup of my blood and then the permission or the command that he gave the apostles to do that in remembrance of him by giving him the power to celebrate mass to repeat that then we clearly see that the eucharist is what our lord's will is to repeat this over and over at mass throughout the whole world so that he can make himself present with his flesh, with his blood, with his divinity, and have all that be shared with everyone in the world throughout the ages. The Eucharist somehow fulfills that promise of our Lord where he stated that he will be with us always till the end of time. He will be with us always. How could that be? Just interiorly? No, really, yes, interiorly, but also in the Eucharist, in the Eucharist, he fulfills the promise to remain with us and to transform the world from within, from within. The Holy Eucharist is unlike normal food. Material food, writes Thomas Aquinas, first of all, turns itself into the person who eats it and as a consequence, restores his losses and increases his vital energies. Spiritual food, on the other hand, he continues, turns the person who eats it into itself, and thus the proper effect of this sacrament is the conversion of man into Christ, so that he may no longer live for himself, but that Christ may live in him. And, as a consequence, it has a double effect of restoring the spiritual losses caused by sins and defects and of increasing the power of the virtues. This is what happens when we, when we go to communion, when we receive the body and blood of our Lord. That, you know, this food is not transformed into us. We are transformed into him. We you know, This is how the transformation of the world begins from within, from within each one of us. When we receive our Lord, we are transformed into Christ. And the, 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 the bread and the wine are transformed into Christ. This is truly a, um, an amazing sacrament. The power of God is, is given to us, given to the church, so that we could be saved. We could be raised up at the last day. A lot of the disciples of our Lord who listened to him at the synagogue in Capernaum, they were scandalized by this. 
They said, this is too much. This is really, really scandalous. How could we eat his flesh and drink his blood? I mean, you can almost argue that's cannibalism or something like that. And, and, and mind you, these are not the Pharisees who are, are scandalized, and it's not the scribes, and it's not the chief priests, and it's not the, the Sadducees. It's, these are not the enemies of our Lord. These are his own disciples. His, you know, the people, his biggest fans. These are the people that are scandalized. These are the people who no longer can listen to him, and they go away. And our Lord, you know, if, if this had been a misunderstanding, our Lord would have said, no, come back, come back. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it literally. I meant it metaphorically. <laughs> and, um, but our Lord doesn't do that. He actually lets them go away. How do we know that our Lord kind of um, would have would have called them back? Because our Lord, well, first of all, the disciples of our Lord are not exactly rocket scientists. All right, they're very simple people, and as simple people go, they tend to interpret things literally. So when our Lord speaks metaphorically, on other occasions, they. They never, you know, they never get it. They, 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 they interpret him literally, you know, even, even if our Lord wants to use a metaphor, like Lazarus is asleep, he says, and to denote that Lazarus is dead, but, you know, he says he's asleep, he's sleeping, you know, and the, the apostles say, oh, if he's asleep, well, you know, whatever, no, no, and he has to clarify, no, gosh, Lazarus is dead, oh, he's dead, oh, okay, so you see the apostles being simple men, they always tend to interpret things more literally. They never tend to interpret things more metaphorically. And and when when they do that, uh, and and they take our Lord too literally, our our Lord um, corrects them, and he kind of explains what he meant. Same thing happens when they when he was talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and the apostles are talking about who. Who, you know, who forgot to bring bread, you know? <laughs> and our Lord says, oh God, you're interpreting, interpreting me too literally. Don't take me that literally. I'm talking metaphorically. I mean the, the, the hypocrisy of the, of the Pharisees. Oh, that's what you meant. Oh, we're, we're slow, Jesus, you know? So, but here, you know, um, they don't, in, you know, our Lord is not talking metaphorically. Had he, you know, he spoke. Had he been speaking metaphorically, that yeah, this is my flesh and this is my blood. And if the apostles then interpreted him, or the the disciples interpreted him literally, and that was not what what he meant, he would have corrected them. He would have said, "No, that's not what I mean. I mean, how could how could I give you my flesh to eat literally? That's not what I mean. I mean, this is a you know a nice way of saying it." But he didn't say that this time. He did not say that. He said, well, go away, because this is what, what I mean. And you got it. You got what I meant. And they, they, you know, I was like, you got to be kidding us. No, I'm not kidding you. This is what I mean. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life within me. And if you don't, you won't. My gosh, who can listen to this, they say. And then Jesus turns to the apostles and says, <laughs> Will you two go away? Go away. 
If you don't, if you don't like it, I'm not going to change this reality. That's just the way things are. And Peter, with great humility, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have words of everlasting life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Beautiful profession of faith in this teaching of the Eucharist. You have words of everlasting life. And our Lord is, he gives us enough grace and enough signs to make our belief reasonable. Because even if this is such a great mystery and he wants us to believe it, it's not enough for us to simply just submit our reason and blindly say, okay, I believe it. It has to be reasonably believed in. And what makes it reasonable to believe that this is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? The fact that he has resurrected and he has performed all the miracles, that's what makes it reasonable. Had he not resurrected, vain is our faith, St. Paul says. Because he resurrected, then, you know, and he came back from the dead and the apostles put their fingers in, their, in his wounds and they then gave their lives for, for, for that truth. And we see that not just one, but many, 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 many. And they continue to give their lives for the Eucharist that that makes it reasonable for us to believe, plus the grace that we have from God. And that's why those people who are in touch with the Father, like Simon Peter, and presumably also in, on this occasion, as he had previously been in touch with the Father, you know, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Um, well, the same thing here, you know, we, we kind of, Assume that Simon Peter is praying, and that's why he's able to say, you have words of everlasting life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. This is what happens when, when we humbly approach our Lord in the Eucharist. We have an increase in faith. So, if anybody tells you that the words of our Lord in the Eucharist are symbolic. They're not. They're literal. And we have to simply be humble in receiving this gift. We may not understand it fully, but we receive it and we have life. And we get life from it. That's what happened to, the, to our forefathers in the desert when they were hungry. They received manna this bread that would come down from heaven, which our Lord is now saying he is the true manna that has come down from heaven. And that, you know, our forefathers died in the desert. We will live forever if we eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Well, this word for manna, you know, really applies to the Eucharist primarily because manna is really a question it, it, um, in Hebrew. And it means, what is it? It's like, <laughs> you, don't un you don't know the essence of it. Um, 
they don't the the the, the Israelites didn't understand what it was. It was just kind of this pasty kind of carbohydrate. I could imagine it or something like that, but it also gave them strength and you know uh, fed them. Didn't taste really good apparently from what they complain about, um, but still it gave them life and sustenance. But they didn't know what it was, so they call it what is it mana manu you know, and um, and really. The expression really applies to the Eucharist. What is it? We don't know what it is. It just goes beyond belief what Christ has done for us. He has given himself entirely to us. He has placed himself in our hands, in our tongues, in our bodies. He wants to feed us so that so as to transform us into himself. Wow. Pope Benedict said um, in the Synod of, on the Eucharist, he said, we have to recover the Eucharistic awe that perhaps we have lost over time. To recover the Eucharistic awe. And that's, what I think, what we do in Corpus Christi. We want to recover the Eucharistic awe. And in fact, when the, when the Feast of Corpus Christi was instituted in the 13th century, it was precisely as a response to those people who wanted to water down what the mystery of the Eucharist is. And and the church with the with the monstrances, with the benedictions, with the expositions, with the adorations, um, you know, the with, with the processions down streets with the Blessed Sacrament, public manifestations of adoration, was telling the world, this is what we believe. You know, and if God has given himself entirely to us, the least we can do is give ourselves entirely back to him as much as we can, as much as we can. You know, in, in, um, in many towns all over the world, they have processions where the people um, literally, literally throw out the house out the window, throw the house out the window, you know, as the expression goes. And they put out their best Persian rugs and the best jewelry and the best um, decorations that they have out the window, hanging out the window for our Lord who is passing by, you know. And then people on the street, they have candles and they put on their best clothing and the priest uses or the bishop uses the best vestments, you know, and they use the best monstrance and they have petals you know, that they're throwing down on the ground so that our Lord can step on that, you know. It, it, it really is like uh, like a medieval um, ticker tape parade, you know. They didn't have ticker tape, but uh, that's, you know, later on. But they had pedals, you know, and we still have pedals, and we can give our Lord the best we, we have. That is how we can correspond to our Lord. And anything we do for our Lord will be little in comparison to what he deserves. This is the attitude, the Eucharistic attitude. I mean, we read it um, in yesterday's Mass uh, on Saturday of um, the ninth week of Ordinary Time, how how our Lord is really enthralled at the sacrifice of the widow who puts in two coins, two mites that are not from her surplus, but from her want. She doesn't have anything, but that which, the little she has, she gives it all. 
to God. That's Eucharistic. That's a Eucharistic attitude. And we have to have the same, the same outlook and the same attitude. Adopt that attitude. Make it our own. Because our Lord deserves that and more. The Eucharist is truly that which will allow us to, to persevere in our call, in our call to holiness, because it is it is the um, kind of like you know the, it's called the viaticum. Um, the viaticum in in Latin is kind of like the the food that you take on the way. It's kind of like your pack lunch or something, you know. Because what's what way? What path? Well, we're all pilgrims along this way of life, you know, and. And the Eucharist can be seen as a viaticum, as your packed lunch, so to speak, that you take with you throughout the journey of your life so that it keeps you going, you know. It keeps you going. It gives you strength when, when you're tired, when you're exhausted in, in, uh, in your works of charity, in your Christian life. You know, turn to our Lord in the Eucharist and n- draw new life from that infinite well of of holiness and charity, which is the Eucharist. St. Thomas Aquinas says that when we can't go and receive our Lord in the Eucharist, he says the spiritual communion is, is just as good. Our desire to be with our Lord produces the same effects as, the, as receiving our Lord in communion. Now, that's incredible. He says the power of the sacrament is such, or the nature of the sacrament is such, that just desiring it produces the same effects. And that's what St. Maria did when he couldn't celebrate Mass because of the Civil War. He turned to dry Masses, as he called them. Dry because they, you know, he didn't have wine or bread as matter for consecration. He didn't have vestments. He didn't have an altar. He didn't have anything. But he would go through the Mass... He would go through the Mass, you know, from memory. Actually, he memorized it because he loved it that much. You memorize what you love, you know. And, um, like, you know, if you're in love with your girlfriend, you know her license plate, you know her phone number, you know everything, you know everything. Well, why? Because love just makes you memorize everything about the loved one. Well, St. Maria loved the Mass. So he memorized it. He memorized the Mass of Our Lady. And he would celebrate these dry Masses during... In hiding, you know, just go through him in his mind, and um, and that helped him to persevere, to keep his his desire going, and out of respect for the words of consecration, he would not say them. He would say a spiritual communion in their stead, knowing that the, this doctrine of Saint Thomas Aquinas that the the same effect is produced in the soul of the person who really desires our Lord, our Lord truly desired to to have to eat this passover with us and the least we can do is correspond with a desire with the same desire look at look at um, what saint Maria did as well when he was able to have a little bit more um, to give our lord actually he didn't have much to give but um he ordered a um, a tabernacle uh, to be made in the shape of a dove, and he 
bedecked it with jewels, the jewels that he was able to collect at the time. They really didn't have a lot of money. And when it came, it came in pieces uh, so as not to kind of uh, draw attention at customs because he had it made in Spain. And, and so it came in all these little boxes and he told the head architect, um, come, the, the tabernacle has arrived. Let's open up all the boxes. And so, you know, the head architect that was going to assemble this tabernacle, which was really beautiful, he went for the biggest box first. And right before that, same as said, wait, 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 stop. Jesus, that was his name, let's open the smallest one first, just as a mortification, to mortify our curiosity. And let's offer that up. And so they open up the smallest box first, and just, you know, delaying, you know, kind of the, the curiosity to, to open up the, all, you know, the big one first. And they open up the smallest one, and it is the most precious part of the tabernacle, which is where one host fits it's a little host that fits in the belly of the dove, the tabernacle dove. And it's really the, the most precious part because it's all there with jewels and with diamonds and whatnot. And, and that's all for our Lord. And he said, you know, we tried to be generous with our Lord and he outdid us in generosity. He gave us the best first, you know, by opening up the smallest box. Well, that's what our Lord does in the, in the Blessed Sacrament. We want to be humble, but he outdoes us in humility. He lowers himself. He stoops himself even more than we ever can. I mean, even if we were to greet him, not with a genuflection, but with prostration, you know, for 24 hours a day. I don't know. I mean, it's like an exaggeration, perhaps. Um, he says, no, you know, I, I have stooped even more than that. And anyway, even if we were to prostrate ourselves for 24 hours a day, it wouldn't be, I mean, that's not God's will, but it wouldn't be, you know, enough, you know, stooping down on our part. Because our Lord has given us even more. He becomes our servant. He washes our feet. He, he is the one that saves us. And the least we can do is offer him a little bit of piety, a little bit of thanksgiving. As, you know, the, the two mites that we have, that's all we, you know. And he will give us life everlasting because he is never outdone in generosity. This is the logic of the Eucharist. Magnanimity, magnanimity, magnanimity. And for that magnanimous a display and spread of our Lord, we have to be in awe and we have to recover that awe. So think, how do I correspond? How do you correspond in lowering yourself, in giving yourself to others, in serving others, in being generous, magnanimous, not counting the cost? Because our Lord never counts the cost. He just gives himself you know, in throwing, quote-unquote, your house out the window, maybe by dressing up for Mass, you know? Um, I, I don't know if I've said this before, but <laughs> why do people dress in shorts and T-shirts when they go to Mass? I mean, they don't do that when they go to an interview. 
But somehow at mass they do, you know? Why? Well, because it's hot. Okay, well, but still, in an even if you were, you know, hot, you wouldn't dress down if you were to meet the president or, even, or the pope. And there's something greater than the pope here in the Eucharist. You know, um, I know churches look like gyms sometimes, and that's why, you know, we are confused. Some people are confused, and they think that they have to dress like as if they were going to the gym, but... Anyway, we have to um, we have to pray for the architects that did that and uh, make acts of contrition. But but even even if we were to dress up with the best clothing, what we really need to do is dress up on the inside. You know, dress up our soul with the state of grace. And how do we do that? With confession. Confession always takes us to the Eucharist. Always takes us to the Eucharist. That's how we do it. We increase our hunger for the Eucharist, which is never satisfied. This is kind of one of, one of those peculiarities of the Eucharist. The more we eat of the flesh of our Lord and drink his blood, the more hungry we are. You know, With regular food, you're less hungry, but now we're more hungry. And that's, that spiral of love begins... You know, I, I want more, I want more, I want more. Let us make ourselves worthy, not because we make ourselves worthy, but because we we actually let our Lord make us worthy of receiving him. And that's a mystery in itself. That That's a miracle in itself, how we unworthy creatures as, uh, that we are, we can be made worthy if we allow our Lord to clean us in the sacrament of penance we are sorry for our sins, if we try to sin less, if we try to actually show ch- charity towards others. Well, we have, we have much to learn, much to appreciate, much to pray about, much to contemplate in the Eucharist. And today and this week, the octave of Corpus Christi, perhaps we can actually do that. St. Maria had solemn benediction in every house of Opus Dei, every center of Opus Dei, he said, I want sound benediction every single day for eight days, you know, with the lace, bring out the lace, bring out the rugs, bring out the the candles, the lights, the monstrances, everything for eight days, just to show our Lord that we love him. And you can do that in your heart as well if you don't have a, a chapel nearby or, you know, a church that you can participate in benediction. The Archbishop uh, Gwen Van Tuan is a great example of a Eucharistic soul. He was the Archbishop in Vietnam, uh, and then he was taken to prison in 1975. And he he was not allowed to bring anything. Obviously, he was kind of in solitary confinement for many years. But the one thing he was able to do, he, he asked for wine for his health, you know, and, and the faithful understood that he wanted to celebrate Mass, so they brought a little bit of, a cr- you know, bread, a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine, and um, and he would celebrate Mass in his hand with one drop of wine that he would consecrate into the blood of Christ and a little crumb of bread that he would consecrate into the body of Christ. And, you know, he was accompanied by our Lord. He said, I shall never be able to express my joy. Every day I celebrated Mass with three drops of wine and one of water 
in the palm of my hand. Every day I was able to kneel before the cross with Jesus, drink with him his most bitter chalice. Every day when reciting the consecration, I confirmed with all my heart and with all my soul a new pact, an eternal pact between Jesus and me through his blood mixed with mine. They were the most beautiful masses of my life. You know, this is an extraordinary thing that our Lord even goes to prison with with this archbishop and he accompanies him. He gives himself there. And the archbishop didn't feel himself uh, abandoned or, you know, alone or desolate because he was there with God. And if God is with us, who can be against us? And we have to we have to realize that if God is with us, who can be against us in the Eucharist? God is with us. We have to be in awe at that. God is with us. All the power of God. He doesn't have anything else to give. He, he has given everything to us. So we should cast away our fears of giving ourselves to others. We should adopt this Eucharistic generosity in our lives. Give your two mites. That's all we have anyway. It doesn't matter. You know, give your life to God and you'll see that you will not outdo him in generosity. Let's stop being afraid. Lord, help us to really try to correspond with everything we've got, which will still be you know, very little in comparison with what you deserve. But that's what we want to do today and every day, actually, because we can receive you every day if we wanted to. Wow. Let us turn to Mary, who is the best example of a Eucharistic soul. She is the Eucharistic woman who said, let it be done unto me according to thy word. And the word became flesh in her womb. She receives our Lord in communion. Well, when we say amen at the communion line, right there when we open up our mouth to receive him, that amen, as John Paul II said in his um, encyclical on the Eucharist, that amen has to be a let it be done unto me according to thy word. It has to be uh, a putting ourselves at his disposition for anything that he may want. To, tr- so to try to correspond to that generous uh, giving of himself with the giving, the giving of anything and all that we may possibly have. Our Lady will help us when we turn to her. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.